Thank you. Uh, what a wonderful passage that is, and what a wonderful story that we've been able to engage in. And so if you're joining us today um, for the first time, we have, uh, we have journeyed already twice in this story, starting with the first encounter with Jesus and the woman at the well. And we've talked about how uh, there's a sense of belonging. She longed to belong. Whether she realized it or not, that is in her heart. We all are that way. We long to belong and have this identity. And so in that conversation, Jesus dared to have a conversation with her, and there's a discovery that begins to take place. And then last week, we looked at how Jesus gives us revelation, revelation of her past and her present, and a revelation of who he is, that, that you aren't going to be having to worry about where you're worshiping, meaning worshiping in the right place, because I am the temple. You are going to be able to worship anywhere on this earth because of the work that I am doing, and that revelation that, that comes from that. And so today, we want to move into the last segment of this, and that is this transformation that takes place. And, um, uh, and so knowing that uh, having Ted here today, uh, I'm not going to dive into all of that, what is there, which, you know, as I look over it and it's being read, it's, there's just such good stuff in there. As Jesus said, as the disciples come back and they say, hey, you want something to eat? And he says, no, um, I, I've already eaten. And they're going, who fed him? And he goes on to say, the food that I eat is doing the will of the Father. I don't know if you've ever been there before when you are serving God and you just get in that zone, and it's like there's nothing else. You don't need to eat. I mean, what you're feasting on in God is just enough. And you finally get to a point and you go, maybe I should eat. Maybe I should eat. But the, the sense of an understanding that doing the will of the Father, engaging in what God is up to, is food for our souls that there's nothing else can meet that other than God himself. And that's in that, that's in that zone. That is in that place that is just the, the, the sweet spot. I like watching baseball. Um, I've had to turn, turn my phone off because I get notifications. The Cubs are playing. They're my team. I, I follow the Cubs. And people say, why the Cubs? Because they have a lovely baseball field, I guess. Um, but uh, uh, there is nothing like watching somebody, and I've, I've, hit, I've swung the bat a few times, and hitting that home run and hitting that ball on the sweet spot of that bat, and it just goes sailing. Yeah, and you just go, ooh. And that's, I think, as Jesus is talking there um, about him not needing food, he is in that sweet spot of just doing God's will and being in his will and being totally fed with everything he needs. He is being supplied. And, and eating, physical eating, is like secondary to being in that, in that place. I want to be there. Now, I know that because, and we know because we're, we're not perfect, we're not going to stay there, right? I wish I could, and one day I will. One day you will too, because Christ is coming back, and we will be with him, and we will be able to sit in that sweet spot. But I want to experience that to the best of my ability, as much as I can. That's where I want to be, right? Yeah, okay, I see a few heads nodding. Um, that's great. And... Uh, and, and so even as we explore, and we don't look at that so much, but we look at some other things of how this woman was transformed, there is a way for us to be there. It's not a hope. It's not just a dream that may be a pipe dream that one day I can be there. 
but that you and I in our day-to-day, our, our Monday to Saturday time, that we can be in that sweet spot, that we can enjoy the presence of God and say, I am in the will of God. I'm doing it. I'm living it. And it is good. Well, this, uh, this Friday, some of you have uh, befriended me on Facebook, and, and if you did, you, you, uh, you saw my adventures. Um, we've got two boys. Uh, one is 31 and one is 28. And the 31-year-old said, hey, Dad, we're going to go climbing, and we want you to go climbing with us. And I said, can I do it? And he says, oh, yeah. And he's just kind of one of those guys that anybody can do anything. Like he would tell, you would look at you and say, you can go climbing, you can do it. Um, but I have to talk to the youngest one because he's kind of the realist. And so I said, and even the older one says, yeah, ask Brendan, because if Brendan says you can do it, you can do it. So I said to Brendan, Brendan, can I do this? And Brendan says, oh, yeah, you can do it, Dad. And so um, I'll show you a picture here. Um, this is me and my oldest son, Marshall, and we're up on a, we're up on a cliff. Um, and I, I took the ferry over, Horseshoe Ferry. They picked me up there. We went about 30 minutes down the road. And uh, there's a place called uh, um, Throne of Kings. And we were, uh, we were climbing that. And it's eight pitches. So you do eight segments up this mountain. And there definitely was a moment in time where I'm hanging. I'm literally hanging off this cliff on a rope. And I am wondering, what in the world am I doing here? Uh, but uh, it, was, it was definitely exciting. And I'm here. I'm here because I came back down safely. And none of us crashed to the bottom. A um, few little scrapes and that. But as I thought about that, and in my experience on the side of this, of this mountain, and I'm clinging to it, uh, and so you're there, and you're hanging on, and, and I'm thinking about where I'm going to put my foot next, or where I'm going to put my hand next, and I'm thinking this is a good hold. You can't really go too far beyond that, because it, it's only as you get a little bit further up, a little bit further up, that you can actually see where you are going and what is next up there. And that's kind of the thrill of it, is you really know what, don't know what you're going to get until you get there. But you have to go, you have to progress. You have to move yourself forward. And as I thought about that, I thought about this story and, and the, this woman at the well, and that she was experiencing Jesus, and she started here, but she had to keep moving forward with him and keep progressing with him to discover who he was. If you look in your Bibles, and we'll go back to a bit of the beginning of it, uh, it she starts off, and she, she says to him, um, the Samaritan, this is in verse 8, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you are a Jew? So her first reach, her first reach with Jesus is that she simply sees him as a Jew, as a Jewish man. But we, we will see as she discovers that he's so much more than that. That she encounters Jesus in such a great way. She, she comes to the well for water. For her, it's all about water and avoiding human contact. But as we read this story, she finds out that there is an inner need that she has. Something drawing her, that she doesn't want to admit. She longed to belong. She wanted an identity deep down. In her community, I think she was probably known as that woman. 
And if you've ever experienced uh, something in which you've done something wrong, and the public knows about it, it's sure hard to get away from that identity, isn't it? It is hard to get away from that identity. And so she was avoiding that. She came, as we know, during the midday to escape the judgmental attitudes, the mocking, the scorn, the rejection. She comes to draw water during a time where she will not encounter anybody. But as we read in chapter 4, she arrives to find that the well is not abandoned, but instead there is a guy who is there. And so she sees him first as a Jew. And then the conversation begins to unfold and unravel and stuff that she would like to keep hidden, as we all would like, is made public, at least to him and her, as he tells her about her past and her present, which isn't very good at all, is it? And what is her response? Her response then is that as he says to her, um, you know, give me some water, and they have this exchange, she says to him, uh, sir, are you a prophet? So now she's moved from him being just a Jew to saying, are you a prophet? And I love that progression. She, she reaches up a little bit more, and she grabs something, hold of it and, and it, it and, and it's something sturdy, and she lifts herself a little bit more up, and she now sees him beyond just a simple Jew. And now, perhaps, he's a prophet. I mean, he just told her about her past and her present. Maybe in our day, in our world, somebody in our life, if, if, if it was shared to them, they might say that he's a fortune teller, but in her world, in her realm, in her culture, man, he's got to be a prophet. He's got to be somebody special. I think it would have been easy when he reveals her past for her to go, I am done with this. I'm taking my pails of empty pails that I want to fill up with water, and I'm heading back to town. But she doesn't. She lingers with him. She rests with him. Something that's drawing her to something deeper with him. And so Jesus reveals this to her, and she, as we looked at last week, kind of deflects, right? And she says, where is the best place to worship? Because I am told that we should worship here, and the Jews believe they should worship there. And Jesus' response to her is not one where maybe she felt like there was going to be a debate, and instead he, he answers her question. He answers her question, which draws her even deeper. Because it's, he says it's not about, the coming time is not going to be about where you worship because it's always been about who you worship. And that's what it is in our life. It's not where we worship. It's who we worship. And it has been said and it is true that all of us will worship, we are worshiping something. We all are. Even those people who aren't here today that are in your community that are your neighbors that don't believe in God, they worship something. 
who or what will you worship? What I like about this story is that Jesus has this tremendous impact on this woman that in her community, she was less than. She was down here. And Jesus has this impact upon her. One of the late preacher, teacher, and author, Howard Hendricks, said this. He says, uh, he says that you can, um, you can impress people from afar, but you impact them up close. You can impress people from afar, but you impact them up close. Perhaps if he was alive today, he might say you can influence people from afar, like TikTok, Instagram, but you can only impact them when you're up close. He leaves going, maybe this is the Messiah, the anointed one. Now, what she thought he was going to accomplish was not what he actually accomplished. Again, most Jews felt that, that the Messiah was going to come and he was going to sit on a physical throne and he was going to overthrow Rome and rule. That's what, that's what most Jews thought and understood. But she was speaking truth. She was discovering something about Jesus because she was willing to linger there. And I'm wondering about us in our life with Christ. Do we linger with Jesus? I'm not, I'm not talking about even this. This here can so easily be something in which we can, we can impress. But when we get close to Jesus, there is an impact. It's easy for us to find ourselves in a place of impression management when it comes to Jesus. And we teach it pretty good in church. We say to you, I say to you, come to church. I'm glad you're here. I mean, I preach to one person, but it's nice there's more than one person. And if there's nobody here, it'd be a pretty sad day for me. But I say, come to church, read your Bible, pray, give money, and serve. And if you do that, you'll feel good about yourself. If you do that, well, God will look upon you with favor. If you do that, that's what you need to do to be a good Christian. And so I can easily, and I have for years, been in the, in the, in the, in the whole thing of impression management. I'm going to make sure that I do the right thing to impress Jesus so that he will find, I'll have favor. I will have his favor. We kind of grow up that way even, and it was raised as a child that if we do the right things, we'll get the pat on the back. If I, if I get all the spelling words right, I will get a A plus with a smiley face and maybe a star on it. I can tell you I didn't really ever get that. Being dyslexic, you know, you think you nailed it, and then you get in there, and there's just always that one word, you know? Chicken, come on. Actually, it was more like cat for me. <laughs> so we easily can find ourselves in impression management. Listen, 
I believe in all those things. I believe in going to church. I believe in reading my Bible. I believe in praying. I believe in giving. I believe in serving. I believe in all of that. But that's not where I need to start. It's not where we need to start. We need to start with a woman at the well did, and that is lingering with Jesus long enough that he has an impact in our life. I don't want to be impressed by Jesus. I want to be impacted by him. I want to be impacted by him. Our starting point is definitely being with Jesus. That's what he invites us to do every day. He invites you and I to be with him, to linger with him. If you have your Bibles, I want to look at this this verse here in Psalm 51, 17. Psalm 51, 17. And in that psalm, we read the words that sacrifice of God, this is how God looks at sacrifice. This is what he says what sacrifice is. It is going to church, reading your Bible, praying. No, it says sacrifice of God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. God is seeking, what God is wanting from us is that starting place of, of being before him and say, God, I can't, you can And as John Orberg says, I will let you. If you go into my office, um, I've had it now for over a year on a whiteboard at the very top. It says, I can't, you can, I will let you. Because I can't. I can't do this. I can't. But he can. I can't pastor this church. But he can. And I want to let him. And I must be before him in a place of saying, God, I don't want it to be my effort, my will. I want it to be you through me. And I want to do it with your effort and your will. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. And I want to continue to make my point here in Philippians chapter 3. Paul is being challenged about who he is, and um, because there's others who are saying, man, we are like these super apostles, like we, we, we have done all this stuff, we've got this great position. And so in verse, th- in verse one of chapter three of Philippians, he says, um, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord, to write the same thing uh, is no trouble, it is a safeguard. Look out for those dogs, look out for those evildoers, Look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are, we, we, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God in the glory of, in Christ Jesus, but no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has 
reason for confidence in the flesh. I have more. So, so what he's building up to is he says there's a group of people that are saying, look at all the things that I've done. Look at all the things that I am doing. And I have this, I have these, I have this credibility here because, because of who I am. And so then he goes on to say this. He says, well, listen, if we're going to boast about our credentials, I can do it so much better. He says, I have been circumcised on the eighth day. I am of the people of Israel. I'm a tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As for the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecutor of the church. As for righteousness under the law, blameless. I mean, this guy, he was the ultimate. You know, Paul could say, I could be the ultimate Christian here. I mean, I can tell you, I never, I was born on Saturday. I was in church on Sunday, and I haven't missed a, I haven't missed a Sunday since. I mean, I can give you all the records. I have given 10% every, every, every time, ever since I started making money, and I can show you the records that I have done that. And I've given beyond that. I've gotten up every morning. I've read my Bible every morning. And I have my prayer list. You want to see my prayer list? I'll show you my prayer list. I mean, I've got, I've got 100 people on my prayer list that I pray for. I, listen, I'm not... Although it sounds like I'm, I'm mocking that, I, I find that it's very important... I value all of that. But as Paul says, if I'm trying to gain my righteousness, if I'm trying to gain myself as important because of the things I do, it's not going to be acceptable to God. And so then he goes on to say in there, he says, I count all of that as rubbish. Whatever is to my gain, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. There it is, knowing Jesus as Lord. You're heading back to school, some of you. You're heading back to school. It is a tough place, school. It is tough. It is not Jesus. Matter of fact, they don't even want you to talk about Jesus. How do we live that out? I want to tell you as young people, linger with Jesus. Be honest with him. Let him know I can't do it. I don't know how to be a student in my grade. I don't know how to shine for you, Jesus. But I can tell you and I can guarantee you, he does. In your workplace, how do you shine like a star in a crooked and depraved generation? How do you shine I don't know, but I know Jesus does. And it goes beyond the fact that you're just simply here today. It is because you will linger with him and you allow him to break you and remold you and reshape you in that brokenness. Let's go back to our story in John because it just, so she leaves she leaves, and she goes, and she does what she has tried, I don't know, for how many years to hide. She just starts to, from going from hiding, she goes to heralding her past. She's hiding her past. Now she's heralding. She's coming. She says, come, come and meet this guy. I think he's the Messiah. I think he's an anointed one. Come and meet him who told me everything that I've ever done. That's crazy. That is crazy, but that is Jesus. He will take us places we never thought we would ever go, and we'll find it marvelous. It'll be better than we ever 
imagined. This woman was the first evangelist to the Samaritans. To her own people, she was the first evangelist. And I love how it ends there because they say uh, to her, let's get there. It's in verse 41. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, I just love this, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Wow. Wow. Our lives can be used in such a way that we would see something happen that we never thought would happen. Do you ever think... Some of those people that were talking to this woman after they encountered Jesus, I imagine her mind just went, like, so-and-so is talking to me. They never talked to me. Why was that? Well, on one side, she was that woman, but now she is that woman who introduced us to Jesus, and he is crazy, wild, transforming us. And I want to belong. I want to belong. I think about someone like Mary who anoints Jesus' feet. This this woman who was considered a prostitute, I don't think she ever thought that she would be anointing Jesus' feet. But there she was. She was taken someplace she never thought she would go. I think of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, that wee little man. Remember that song? climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And the Lord says, come down from there because I want to come and I want to eat with you. And what happened in that community? <laughs> Jesus is eating with a sinner. And then I love that story because it takes Zacchaeus to a place that he never thought he was ever going to go. And he says, if I have cheated people out, I will repay, I will go I will go four times over. I mean, the man did something that he never thought he would do. It took him someplace that he never thought he would go, but he was free. That woman went into the community and she was free for the first time in her life to say, I met a man who told me everything about me and he didn't condemn me, but he loved me. What do you think our community needs? What does Lady Smith need? What? Jesus. Jesus. And he has placed you, and we are hoping somebody's going to be, actually, they've already looked at our house, hoping we get a text saying they want to buy our house. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And we're we're praying about what community in this area, where little community God's going to place us in to say he has something for us in that little community to bring his Shekinah glory into that community. We would see a community transformed. Okay, so let me, let me wrap this up. Where do we start? Where do we start? Um, if you got the, the, uh, the Ocean View review, I wrote a little bit about this. Um, slow down. I think, I, think the, the, 
I think that we, we don't linger with Jesus. I've had to really force myself to slow down when it comes to reading my Bible. I want to, I, I love, I love to-do lists. I love to check it off. But it goes beyond that. It's that slowing down, resting in him, lingering with him with no agenda. With no agenda. I come and I just simply say, here I am, God. I don't have an agenda. I just want to hear from you. But we live a fast-paced life. We teach our kids to be go, 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 go. We want them to have every experience they can have. But I wonder if we don't show them how to experience Jesus more than anything. And then secondly, it's this, make room for confession. If I'm going to linger with him, and if it is a broken and contrite heart, then it's actually being willing to allow him to speak into my life and to say to me, hey, Scott, yeah, you know what? This is what's wrong. Just like that woman. Yeah, you know, you're not even married to the man you're with. There's something in your life that needs my touch on. Turn to Psalm 139. I know for years, uh, I I think because of the fact that I grew up being dyslexic, um, I went off to class. I went off to the special class. Um, Kids would go, you know, at the beginning of the year, and the teacher says, you know, you can go, Scott. And people go, where's he going? And she's going, he's going to the special class. Wasn't a whole lot of specialness to it. You know, on the side of being in grade four, um, it was embarrassing. And, uh, and so I would come to something like this in Psalm uh, 139, and I would read it that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, and I go, okay, God, I got this. I got this. And it is truly a beautiful passage for understanding that God has created us and we are very special, but there's something else deeper in here that I just love, and we're not going to have time to go through it, but it, it, is, it is really it is a, a, a um, book, chapter, <laughs> a section that talks about how we engage with God. And so he starts off and says, God, you know everything about me. You know everything about me. You search me and you know me. And then he goes on to describe how he does that, how he knows when I rise and when I lay down. He knows a word before it comes out of my mouth. He hymns me in before and in front and behind. He hymns me in. God's got me. God knows everything about me. Everything about me. And then let's look at these last two verses. Of 39. It says this. So he comes to the very end. God knows everything about him. He can't hide anything from God. And then he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there's any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Here's Scott's 
interpretation of that. God, search me and reveal me to me. If God already knows everything about me, then God doesn't need to know anything more than what he already knows. I need to know what he knows. I need to understand what he understands. I need to grasp what he knows what is best for me. And when I come and I lay before him and I say, and I'll linger there, and I'll say, God, go ahead and point it out to me. Reveal me to me. Because I want to be a broken and contrite heart before you. I want to be used for you, by you, in any way possible. I want to be able to say, as the woman at the well did, as Zacchaeus did, as Mary, as Mary did, as Peter did, as he stood up and he saw 3,000 people come to know Christ, I want to say, God took me someplace that I never thought he would take me, to do what I never thought I would ever be able to do. That's the story here, the story of transformation. Because she had a conversation. The truth was revealed to her. And she was willing to step into it and be transformed. Have a conversation with God. Allow him to reveal the truth and step into it. And I'll tell you, if you linger with him, if you're willing to linger with him, he'll take you places you never thought you would ever go. And it's beautiful. And then it becomes food that you'll be eating that you never thought you'd be eating. Is that not glorious? Father, wow, what a story. You know, in my own life, I don't know how many times I've read that story. And I don't think I've lingered on it like I should. But God, thank you that even in this room, there is story after story of people who have lingered with you and been transformed by you. Oh Lord, help us not to stop there. Help us to go deeper, to desire more, to hunger for more. And Lord, that we would, we would begin by, by slowing down and saying to you, God, here I am. Reveal me to me. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.